beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's God's word for us this morning. Brothers and sisters, we've been studying prayer together, as you know, these past weeks on Sunday mornings. And we've seen how the Bible shows us that prayer is the most important part of the Christian life. And I'm standing by that because God's word shows us that. Prayer is the most important part of your Christian life. As important as living for Jesus is, and the Ten Commandments show us our duties there. As important as serving and loving God above all is, as important as loving our neighbor as ourself is, prayer is the most important part of your Christian life. It's the fuel for your Christian life and living. It's the fuel for the church. It's the fuel for the mission of the church. We've made our way now already through the Lord's Prayer, and we've seen how the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples informs the content of our praying as believers. It's how we're supposed to pray. Now, this Sunday morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to have two sermons from John 17 on prayer. A number of folks have called John 17 the real Lord's Prayer because this is Jesus himself praying, and they say the other prayer, the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, should be called the Disciples' Prayer prayer because that's what he taught his disciples to pray john 17 is very full it's very rich and uh, we're just going to focus on a couple of areas today and next week maybe someday we'll come back to john 17 and do it more thoroughly there are three parts to this prayer this is all looking at all of john 17 i just want to give you a feel for it there's christ's prayer for himself That's the verses we read, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus praying for himself. And then 6 through 19 is Jesus praying for his disciples. Then the very end that we're going to take next week, verses 20 to 26, is Jesus praying for us, basically. It's for the church, all those who will believe in the centuries to come, following Jesus' time on this earth. Today... These first five verses, and we're really narrowing in on the first two verses. And what we find here are three gifts that the Father gives to the Son. Three gifts, three presents for Jesus. And this is the time of the year to buy presents, to buy gifts. Finding just the right one can be very, very difficult. Uh, this might, may or may not be true in your family, but in our family, grow, I'm thinking of growing up, not necessarily ours, uh, but 
in my family, in my siblings, and I think Sarah had this too, the most difficult person to buy for always seems to be the dad of the family. And I don't know why that is. Um, maybe because dads will just up and buy, if they want something, they'll buy it maybe even a couple weeks before Christmas or whatever. But it can be a real challenge, whether it's the dad in your family. There are people that it's very difficult to find an appropriate gift for. And, and you want to do that this time of year. You want to give someone a, you know, a gift that's appropriate for them. What would be an appropriate gift for this father, our heavenly father, to give to Jesus? This is the son, the only begotten son of the Lord. What would be great enough? What would be grand enough to give? Maybe uh, a mansion in heaven or something like that? But no, all of the mansions in heaven already belong to Jesus the son. And he is preparing them for you and for me and for all his children when he calls us home for us to live in forever. Maybe, maybe creating a universe or creating an earth, a world, would be appropriate for Jesus. That would be great enough. Well, it would be if Jesus didn't already have the world. He does. John 1 tells us that Jesus participated in creating the world, the whole universe. And Jesus, in a moment's notice, could create millions of more worlds if he wanted to. No, the Father gave different gifts than these. And each one of these that we're going to look at was very appropriate to give to Jesus And each one of them reveals something very significant about Jesus to us. Each one of these gifts tells us something very important about his work. And you know, the Bible summarizes the work of Jesus by telling us that Jesus was anointed to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. And each one of these gifts relate to those three parts of his work. And even more than all that great stuff, we're going to see how each one of these gifts are very significant for our lives this Christmas season. Gift number one, a people. Gift number one, a people. The very end of verse two talks about all those that the Father has given the Son. Did you see that there? And do you see it now? All those that you have given him. Gift number one is the gift of a people, and that relates to his work as priest to come to die to bring us close to God. This is an appropriate gift for Jesus Christ, a people, a people of his very own, a people who were created in the image of God, who fell into sin but who would be saved by Jesus and called by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to be his people. We talk about the covenant, and there's the covenant of grace between God and us, his people. We can also talk about an eternal covenant between the Father, our heavenly Father, and the Son, And that covenant that the Bible tells us about is an agreement in eternity that the Father would give 
to his son a people that he would eventually come to earth to die for in order to bring us close to God. That is what Christmas is all about. That is the whole point of Christmas that can very easily get lost in the trappings of the season. Jesus came to this earth. He came among us to save us, to die for our sins, to bring us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. A people, an amazingly appropriate gift to give Jesus, and a satisfying gift, a satisfying gift for Jesus. A great preacher, James Montgomery Boyce, talks about that. Do you ever have that? You put something on your Christmas list, boys and girls, and you think, if only I'll get this gift this Christmas, I'll be so happy. It's going to be the greatest. I remember having that feeling when I was younger. I still have it today. There's a gift that I'd really like this Christmas. And then you think, I'm just going to be so satisfied. It's going to feel so good to get this gift. I'm, it, but of course, we know that doesn't last with things of this world, doesn't it? There's always the next best thing. There's always the next new gadget. There's next Christmas or your birthday. But the gift of a people, the gift of a people for Jesus was truly satisfying for him. The Bible often says that Jesus took joy in his people. In Isaiah 53, it talks about the suffering and the death of Jesus It also talks about the satisfaction that he had in being our priest to save us. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53, listen very carefully. After the suffering of his soul, after the suffering of Jesus, he will see the light of life and he will be satisfied. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their sins. You see that? There was satisfaction in knowing that his death would secure our salvation. There was satisfaction. It was satisfying to Jesus that his death would bring us close to his father. Isn't that amazing? It was satisfying. You want to know something else pretty cool about this? It also seems to have been a comforting gift to Jesus as he headed to the pain and the suffering of the cross. Jesus, he's omniscient. He's fully God. He's all-knowing. He knew that the cross was coming. He knew what he was headed for. He knew it would be hard. He knew it would be painful. And he also knew that beyond just dying, in order to save us, he would be separated from the Father. He'd be separated from God. But as difficult as all of that would be, he was comforted in knowing that he would die for his people. In this chapter, and we didn't read all of it, he, he knows he's headed to the cross. It's just around the corner now. And he talks again and again as he looks to the cross, as he looks to that pain, He talks again and again about his people. 
It's in verses 2, it's in verse 6, 9, 11, 12, 14. Have you ever had that in your life when you're headed to something difficult where it it can almost be helpful or or comforting to kind of repeat a comforting thought over and over again? Like maybe before an operation or a surgery, you just tell yourself, it's all going to be over in a few hours and I'll be awake. It's all going to be over in a few hours, and I'm going to be awake. Or maybe it's before exams, just one more week to get through, just a few more days, just a few more days. Well, Jesus is repeating something that would be comforting to him, that he would go through all of this, but it would be for us. This was comforting to him. And sometimes we miss that he needed that comfort because we think Jesus is fully God. He could handle all this. And that's true. He's fully God. But he is also fully man. He experienced pain and suffering in this life and in his death intensely. We know it was hard for him because he prayed fervently that God would take this cup from him. He suffered his whole life from entering this world as a baby to the very end. But as he faced the cross, he was comforted in knowing that his death would result in the salvation of the people the Father was giving him. Isn't that a beautiful and amazing thought? What an appropriate satisfying, comforting gift for Jesus. The gift of a people. The gift of the church. And what a gift to you. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you're a part of that people that I'm talking about. If you believe in Jesus, you've been brought close to God the Father. If you believe in Jesus, you are the reason Jesus came from the perfection and beauty of heaven into this sad, hard, sometimes lousy, lousy world that first Christmas for you. And amazingly, he was thinking about you when he was headed to the cross. The Bible tells us that we are Christ's precious possession. We're part of his people. And that means that we belong. That means you belong somewhere. That means you are part of the family of God. That says a lot for you personally. But it also says a lot about how we are to think and act together in the church as God's people. We live in love. We're brothers and sisters. We care for each other. We treat one another with respect. Sometimes we have different ideas. Sometimes we have different preferences. But each one of us is a precious gift given from the Father to the Son. The person in the pew in front of you and behind you, to the left of you, to the right of you, is a precious, precious possession of Jesus. You're all precious people. Don't ever forget that and act like it, would you? 
Act like it in your life, personally and how you interact with one another. Act like it. The second gift is power. The second gift is power. And we could also use the word authority, and that might be a little better, actually. The beginning of verse 2, the father gave the son authority or power over all people. And this shows us Christ's work as king to rule over everyone and everything. This is a great power, this gift that the father gave to the son. It means power over every person, rich or poor, men or women, children, power over angels and demons, power over every nation, power over you, power over me. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. His power is so great, you can't escape it. You can't run from it. You couldn't travel any place in this world and get away from it. You couldn't build yourself a spaceship and travel far enough in the universe to escape it or avoid it. The question is, will you resist his power and authority? Or will you acknowledge it? Will you bow the knee to King Jesus? When people are given great power and authority, and we've seen it in history, we see it in our world today, when people are given great power and authority, it almost always results in abuse of power. It almost always results in cruelty. It often results in nations, in a dictatorship. But not with Jesus. That's not what happens with his power For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life. Our text says that on the basis of this gift of authority and power over everyone to do anything, he presents us with the greatest gift of all, eternal life through him. That's what Jesus has done with this gift. That's what Jesus does with his power and with his authority. He gives us eternal life. That's how amazing and loving he is with his power. And that's why we want to bend the knee to Jesus. We want to be under his authority. We want to submit to him. He's got our best interest in mind. He's got your good in mind. All people is really better translated all flesh. And that word flesh, and I bet you know this, a lot of times in the New Testament when it says flesh, it's referring to sinful mankind. It's referring to our sinful nature. So you see, he has authority over all people. He has authority too over your sinful nature. Praise God. Aren't you happy for that? He has authority and power over you. He has authority and power over your sin and your nature. And we put ourselves under his sovereign rule and we're saved. We have eternal life. Great gift. The third and final gift for Jesus we discover in this passage is a purpose. It's a purpose. In verse 1, we see that Jesus prays that he may glorify the Father And we learn from this that Jesus came as a priest, he came as a king, and he came as a prophet with the purpose of declaring the glory of God in word and in deed. 
Jesus came to this earth for your salvation. Yes. Everything he did was to secure your salvation. But even more ultimately, even a bigger picture than that, as big a picture as that is, and as wonderful as that is, even more ultimately, he came to give glory to the Father. That was his purpose. That was his purpose. There were no accidents in Jesus' life. Everything he did was for God's glory, that main purpose. We talk about the purpose-driven life. It's a helpful book. A lot of people have found it helpful. Well, this was the original purpose-driven life. This is the purpose-driven life, the life of Jesus. He assumed human flesh, we say, and he became a baby. There was purpose in that. He asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And John says, no, I'm not worthy of that. I I can't, I shouldn't do that. But Jesus says, yes, it must happen. There's no accident. There was purpose. He washed his disciples' feet. Peter said, no, no, we couldn't do that. Jesus says, yes, you must. Everything he did had purpose. There were no accidents. In his life on this earth, we talk about Jesus' active obedience and his passive obedience to cover everything he did. All of it, all of it had a purpose to glorify the Father. Everything was aligned in his life for that. And that gift of a purpose and that particular purpose is passed along to us too. And that's a great gift for you to have, a purpose Have you ever experienced life without a purpose? Have you ever met someone who seems to be aimless? Or or have you ever had a portion of your life? You know, it could it could be maybe you you had this you've had this a lot, maybe for just a, a short time, experiencing living without a sense of purpose. Like, why am I here? What's the point? Life doesn't make sense. You know, that's about as bad as we can have problems with our finances or our health or loved ones being called home to heaven, to glory. That, to live without a purpose, is is right up there with about the worst thing you can experience. It's so hopeless. You can feel very much like life is pointless. But the fact is that by belonging to Jesus, you have purpose. You have purpose. And you know what that purpose is? It's to give glory to God with your words, with your actions, with your everything. And everything you do, everything in your life, seven days a week, all hours of the day, must align with that purpose. And it will go well with you. And you know, that's the purpose of this church, too, as God's people all together in this place of faith. We're not here for ourselves. Everything we do is to declare the Father's glory in word and in deed ministry. That's a tough, tough task. When we think about a church, we think about your life, you think about your shortcomings, how you've blown it. But we can accomplish that. We can do that. 
Because remember, Jesus was given the gift of all power and authority, and he gives his power to his people and his strength when we ask him for it. Let's give God glory today in this season for these amazing, these incredible gifts that he gave his son Jesus. And this season, give him glory for sending the Son as your gift, capital G, to eternal life. This is a series on prayer. Well, let's pray more than anything else that we would truly give God glory with our lives. And while we pray for that, let's also pray that God would strip away anything in our lives that is preventing that great purpose from happening. It's a tremendous blessing that we're not alone in this. We're not islands. We do this together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have a wonderful family of God here at Faith that you're all part of where we can do this together. We have one another. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, to empower us, to help us. And when you pray for his help, he will certainly answer your prayer. The Holy Spirit will certainly come and help you in your life. He'll fill you with his grace and his strength. So three gifts for Jesus we saw. A people, power, and a purpose. They're intimately related to his work. They're amazingly relevant for your life as you participate in the work of the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit.